You may be seated. Tom, come and share God's word with us. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, As Tim said, my name's Tom Mirabella, and I serve with MTW in Chiba, Japan. Um, Chiba is part of the Tokyo metro area, which is about 36 million people. So by comparison, if you were to combine Arkansas, Mississippi, Georgia, and Florida, uh, that's how many people live within our, our metropolitan area. Um, so prior to moving to Japan, I, I served at uh, Trinity Fellowship in Sherwood, a daughter church of this congregation. I think we were planted about, about 30 years ago. Um, but uh, it's good to be back here uh, in, in Little Rock. Um, we've been serving in Japan for two years. Um, in fact, we arrived in Japan on Father's Day 2014. Um, so this is, this is my first time on American soil in those those two years. It's been a bit of a, of a shock. Um, I'm sorry my, <clears throat> my wife and family aren't here uh, as well, um, but they're, uh, they're back home. So it's nice um, to have the chance to preach without a translator uh, today. Um, often missionaries, um, when they go to the field, they, they spend their first few years only learning the language. And we've done a slightly different path. We haven't had a full language term yet, so we jumped right into ministry. Um, which is good, but it, it, uh, it limits what I can do. So, for instance, when I preach, it's, it's always with the translator. Um, of course, we want to eventually learn the language so we can, can do a better job communicating with people. And we have done some Japanese study. Um, we're not real good at it yet. They say the three hardest languages for an English speaker to learn are Mandarin, Chinese, Japanese, and Arabic. Um, so we, we managed to pick one of the, uh, the top three most difficult languages to learn. Um, you know, one of the things that's really hard about learning a language is uh, the words, some of them all sound the same. Um, so one of those is uh, uh, kodomo, means child, and kudamono means fruit. So I've often told Japanese people I enjoy eating children. Um, and... Uh, I don't know how that, uh, that comes across to them, but uh, my, uh, my team leader has told the story many times about um, a young missionary pastor who wanted to encourage his church to have more vision. And in Japanese, the word for vision is bijon, uh, but he mispronounced it bijin, which means beautiful woman. So he preached this sermon saying, you know, we need more beautiful women in this church. You know, if we want to grow, we need more beautiful women. Um, which sounds like a very innovative church strategy, uh, growth strategy, you know. But, uh, so, you know, we, we appreciate the grace uh, of our Japanese partners uh, that they give us, uh, to us Americans, uh, as we, we muddle along. Um, and again, a, a big reason that uh, we're able to serve in Japan um, is the, the generosity and partnership of this church. So I want to I thank you uh, for that. Um, the sermon I'll be preaching this morning is, is one I actually uh, preached last week uh, in Japan. Um, we're in the, the book of Acts, looking at the church in Antioch. And one of our, our primary ministries in Japan is, is working with a bilingual 
international worship service, um, which means it's actually very similar to the church in Antioch. Um, now, this particular passage comes after uh, persecution has broken out against the early church. Um, of course, the persecution was designed to stamp out the church and to stop its growth. But what happened is, as they persecuted the believers in Jerusalem, it caused them to spread throughout the world and to carry the gospel with them. So where the enemies of God wanted to stop the gospel, uh, by their actions they actually spread it. Of course, one of those who was most uh, at war with the gospel was uh, Saul. Um, And then shortly later, he, uh, in Acts 9, he himself became a Christian. You can imagine what it was like in Jerusalem when Paul showed up, or Saul at the time. Um, they They were so worried that he was coming to attack them, and so he initially couldn't even make contact with the church. Um, They hid from him, but there was a disciple named Barnabas who befriended Paul and brought him to meet the disciples. From there, Paul began a ministry in Jerusalem, preaching the gospel. And Now, the Jews, who who used to be his allies, uh, they didn't appreciate that, and they tried to kill him. But he escaped, eventually moved to Tarsus, where he spent several years. Um, We don't know much about his time there. Um, But that is where this passage picks up in Acts 11, verses 19 through 30, and it's page 920 in your pew Bibles. Um, Would you please stand uh, for the reading of God's Word? Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted all of them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Please be seated. So I think this is a great Bible passage. Um, Of course, uh, they're all great uh, if we believe that, that uh, God has inspired uh, all of them, and, and of course I do. But there are many wonderful things happening in this passage. Um, at first, it's, there's a tendency to think with Acts, it's a difficult book. All these place names we don't know, and people go someplace, and it's difficult, and the church grows, and it happens again and again, and it sometimes feels like there's not much there. Um, But I think God has great things to teach us from this passage this morning. For that to happen, 
We need God to open our eyes and our hearts through His Holy Spirit. So would you, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word that You have entrusted to us. And God, I ask You to, uh, to open our hearts and minds through Your Holy Spirit to, to hear and to understand this morning. God, would You speak through me, bless the preaching of Your Word, um, that You might be glorified uh, today. And we know uh, that You have promised to glorify Yourself through Christ, and we pray in His name. Amen. So if I were to ask you the question, what are you? I wonder what you would say. So maybe, maybe you would answer by telling me about your job. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a businessman. I'm an engineer. I'm a doctor. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm a student. I'm a pastor, missionary. Maybe you would answer by your family role. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a son or daughter. I'm a, a grandfather or a grandmother. Maybe you'd answer with your hobby or your sport. What are you? I'm a musician. I'm a football player. I'm a runner. I'm a gamer. I'm a crafter. I'm a hog. Maybe it would be your nationality or race. I'm an American. I'm Japanese, I'm Mexican, I'm Norwegian, I'm white, I'm African-American, I'm Asian, I'm Hispanic. Maybe your identity will be defined by your status. I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm the boss, I'm I'm the low man on the totem pole. Maybe it'd be your politics. Well, what are you? I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm liberal. I'm conservative. I'm libertarian. I'm populist. I'm socialist. You know, identity can drive us apart. If you look at the world and basically any culture, people are separated by these kinds of differences. We tend to seek out people who are similar to us, And we avoid people who are different. Because it's easier to relate to and to understand people who are like us. And it's hard to deal with people who are different. You don't have to go any further than Facebook to see that that is true. But what this passage shows us is that the church doesn't have to be that way. We look at the the church in Antioch and we see... First, the gospel crosses geographic and national barriers. Verse 19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now, if I was drawing a map, um, if you can imagine um, uh, the Mediterranean, and uh, Jerusalem's kind of here, and Phoenicia's up the coastline, and Antioch is up here, Cyprus is an island right here. Um, it also says people came from Cyrene. So Cyrene would be down here in the, the northern coast of Africa in modern-day Libya. So sorry, it's, 
You have to imagine my map here, but uh, you, you know what the Mediterranean kind of looks like. This is a wide area of people that are coming together into this church. Acts 13 describes this church again. It says, There were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, and it names them. Barnabas. Now, Barnabas was a Levite, which means he was Jewish. He was from Cyprus. So that means he was part of the Jewish diaspora, not living in Jerusalem, but, but out uh, in the Gentile nations. There's a man named Simeon who was called Niger, and uh, Niger's Latin means black, so uh, it's likely he was from Africa. Lucius of Cyrene, so he was also from Africa. Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Herod, this is the one who was part of the royal family in, in Judea. So this is, this is a guy who grew up, you know, living with the royal family in Jerusalem. And then you have Saul, a Jew from Tarsus. It's an extremely diverse group. This was the pastoral staff of the church in Antioch. So we see in the early church um, that you had people crossing geographical and national barriers to share the gospel. Now, the gospel also crosses language barriers. Now, verse 19 says, At first they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. But then in verse 20 it says, There were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now the Hellenists, uh, that refers to people who spoke Greek. Um, you know, every time I preach in Japan, I'm reminded of, of the challenge it is to cross language barriers uh, in sharing the gospel. And maybe it was, it was similar to my situation. You had a, a preacher speaking with a translator next to them. Uh, maybe, maybe they worked hard to learn the language. Um, I can testify to how hard it is uh, to, to learn a, a new language, um, to share the gospel. But so they somehow crossed these barriers uh, to share the gospel. The gospel crosses cultural barriers as well. You know, the, the Hellenists not only spoke a different language, but they were culturally Greek. Um, so they were very different from the Jews and from others who were in, uh, in that group there. That's another challenge we see um, in our church, trying to bring together people from different cultures. We have Americans, Japanese, Filipinos, Australians, uh, Koreans, Congolese, Chinese sometimes. We have different values, um, different uh, understandings of what is rude or polite, different ways of displaying our emotions, different worldviews. It's hard to integrate different cultures. It takes grace, it takes patience. It's good to have a sense of humor. We see also the gospel crosses economic barriers. In 29, it says, The disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So you have a church with resources sending uh, those resources to another church in an area that's, uh, that's really struggling. That's missional giving, crossing boundaries. But notice it also says, everyone according to his ability. Everyone gave, but everyone had a different capacity to give. There were rich people and there were poor people together in the church. This is what makes the church in Antioch so amazing. People came together despite differences in geography, language, cultural background, education, race, economic status. 
what do you call a group like that? I don't think they had a suitable term. Imagine uh, someone sees a meeting of the church and they ask, uh, what are those people over there? How could one answer that question? Are they, are they Jews? No. Well, some of them are, but uh, not all of them. Are they Greeks? Well, so some of them, but not, not all of them. Are they rich? Are they, are they poor? Are, are, they, are they foreigners? Are they, are they locals? Some of them are, are, are all those things, but, but none of them are all of those. The second half of verse 26 says, And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. And maybe that's because there wasn't any other name to define this group of people. I'm convinced that this is part of the reason the church grew so quickly. Because people saw something different. They saw how the gospel could transcend all those barriers that usually keep people apart. I think it's no coincidence that the first official church missionaries were sent from the church in Antioch because they weren't focused on being with people just like themselves. The gospel compelled them to step outside their comfort zones and to be in relationships across those barriers. I found this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, When the church is absolutely different from the world... She invariably attracts it. Oftentimes, the church tries to fit into the world. And that's when we lose our witness. But when we are, when we are different, when we are countercultural, when, when we are living out the gospel in a way that's unique, that actually draws the world to us. Well, maybe you are here. Maybe you don't even know what it means to be a Christian. There, there are many things that could describe what you are, um, but Christian isn't one of them. Or maybe you're here and you're a Christian, but when you think about what you are, there's something else that comes to mind, something else that defines you. I had a friend in college, a um, Christian uh, girl. She was involved in our fellowship group. And I think if you'd asked her what you are, she might have said, I'm a murderer. And when she was in high school, she had a boyfriend and she got pregnant. She was scared. She wasn't ready to have a child. She was a sports star. And having a baby would have, would have ruined everything for her. And so she had an abortion. It was against her faith and it was against her conscience. But at the time, it seemed the only choice that she had. And then she carried that guilt with her. It, it almost it made her identity. I mean, she knew she was a Christian. She knew she was other things. And yet she carried that. In her mind, it defined her. For a lot of us, our past mistakes define us. Or our losses define us. What we have suffered defines us. On the other hand, uh, maybe, maybe you think it's the great things that you've accomplished that define you. 
or some, some part of your identity that makes you special. Probably, um, probably most of you have seen the movie Toy Story, right? About toys who come to life when the, when the owner's not there. And uh, in the, the first movie, there's uh, Sheriff Woody has been the favorite toy for many years. But then a new toy shows up and he's, he's super cool, Buzz Lightyear, right? He's a space ranger. But Buzz doesn't understand that he's a toy. He thinks he's a real space ranger. And, and there's, so there's this, this ongoing dialogue in the movie, and, and, and Woody, played by Tom Hanks, is, is talking to, um, to Buzz, played by Tim Allen. And he says, you are a toy! You aren't the real Buzz Lightyear. You're an action figure. You're a child's plaything. And Buzz says, I am a space ranger, and I can fly. He refuses to believe anything different. But then there comes this moment where uh, he sees a television commercial for himself. Right? And there's this voiceover that says, come in, Buzz Lightyear. He says, oh, it's for me. And then he sees it's a commercial. And he sees people playing with him as an action figure. He looks down at his, his wrist. He sees Made in Taiwan written on him. And there's, there's a kid playing with a toy, and it, and it, crosses, it flashes across the screen, not a flying toy. And it ends with just rows and rows of action figures identical to him. And it's this very powerful point in the movie. There's this music playing, and, and he's just... He's crushed at realizing he's not special. He's not truly a space ranger. But he has this last hope. He says, I can fly. And so he climbs up onto the railing of the stairs, and there's a window there. And he stands up and he says, To infinity and beyond. And he jumps. And for a moment, it looks like he's going to fly. And then he starts to fall. And you see him tumbling through the air and just this look of of shock on his face. And he tumbles down the stairs. And the scene ends with him lying on the ground, his, his, uh, his legs bent the wrong way. And you see his arm is broken off and is laying on the ground next to him. And the camera slowly pans out. And you see him crushed and broken. Laying there realizing that the identity that he thought gave him meaning is worthless. Every one of us comes to that place in our lives where we feel broken and crushed and lost. Because if you have some identity that defines you, then the day is going to come when you will be disappointed in that identity because you'll lose your job or because you'll get too old or because someone will come along who's better than you at that thing. None of those identities that I said earlier 
None of those can carry the weight of ultimate meaning. And when you fail, when, when those things are robbed from you, when, when that identity disappoints you, what is left? And maybe, maybe you're here and you think, I, I, I've never fallen and, and been broken. I know who I am. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in the identity that I have. Well, can I tell you, it's because you, you think you're still a space ranger. You haven't come to that realization yet. You are fooling only yourself. You see, the important thing is not what you are, but who you belong to. Towards the end of the movie, Buzz and Woody, are, they're, they're trapped in uh, this neighbor's house, and, and, and Buzz is just, he's despondent. He's lost all hope. He says, I'm worthless. Nothing matters. And Woody says, you matter because there is a person next door who loves you. And Buzz, he looks down at his foot and he sees the name Andy written on it. That's his owner. That's the one who gives him meaning. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That name Christian, it means Christ one. It means the people who have Christ's name upon them. If you are a Christian, it means that you belong to him. So so your identity is not about what you can do. It's who you belong to. Isaiah 49, 16 says, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Maybe you you often sing the song before the throne of God above. One of my favorites. We, We sing, my name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. We don't have Christ's name written on us, but our name is written upon him because we belong to Him. Christian, that is the only label, that is the only identity that truly matters. No matter what happens in life, do not forget to whom you belong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You loved us so much that you sent your Son to purchase us, to buy us, to pay our redemption so that we could belong completely to you. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, our names are written upon your heart and that Christ, his identity is, is placed upon us. Father, if there are any here today who do not have that confidence, who do not yet know that they belong to Christ. And Father, may today be the day of salvation. May they receive Christ as their Savior. And for all of us who do know you, Father, please remind us 
that though we bear many identities in this life, the one that truly matters is having the name of Christ upon us, being called Christian. And we pray in His precious name. Amen.